Lord, we come to you in in this place where we know we have been able to connect with you in the past. We've been able to sense your presence here. We've we've prayed to you, and and in the past you've you've answered prayers, and 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 so we come to you in this place, and we bring these our needs and the needs of those we love to you. We thank you, Lord, that you know what we need even before we say a word, even before we move a muscle, even before we stand or sit. You know what we need. But we come trusting in you because you are good and you are God. And because of that, we will ask you to help us help those whom we love. We know you've been with us in the past, Lord, because you've answered many prayers. Today we celebrate with the Matrix and their families as they kind of finally got those results. Begin to look to the future. And we pray that you would be with, with our young people as they begin to live the life that you call them to live. And we pray that you would help them to, to do that in a way that their lives honor you. Show them the way. Be with parents as they keep guiding and praying for and trusting. And we know, we know Lord, that there are some who kind of haven't quite got the results they wanted or been in the, you know, the outcome hasn't quite been what they've expected. Remind them that you know and you care and you love and you will be with them even in this year and what lies in what lies ahead for them. We pray for those who, whom we love and care for, who, who need our prayers this morning. Some of us are standing in proxy on behalf of a loved one, a family, a friend, a child, a parent, a sibling. Little Mackenzie. We pray, Lord, that you would lay, reach out and lay your hand of healing blessing and strengthening and enabling on those we bring for you this morning we pray especially for that little one that you would touch her with your healing restoring loving power be with her parents her twin sister her grandparent her family may they know that this little one is in your hands as we know that those we pray for are held by you even now Bless them, Lord. Touch their lives where they need it most. And as we stand before you, Lord, we bring our needs to you. You know, you know why we we're here. Um, you know what we need. So, Lord, would you touch us in such a way that we know that you know and that you care. Would you fill us with hope that comes from you and hope that comes from knowing who you are and what you do. You are good and you are God and you have not changed. Would you restore us? Would you heal us? Would you bind up the broken hearts? Would you open the doors that need to be opened and close those that need to be closed? Would you restore and heal relationships? 
Would you draw us closer to yourself? May we know you. And may you be glorified in our lives because we see and people around us see what you are doing in us and through us. And so we ask these prayers, the, the prayers that we've cried out in, in silence, sometimes in the middle of the night, we, we, we ask all of these prayers, the prayers said aloud this morning. We ask them all in the name of Jesus, and together God's people say, Amen, Amen. Please be seated. In 1979, when I was a boy, in 1979, I wrote matric. And somewhere in the middle of that year, I sensed God calling me into ministry. And um, because of a very wise woman, my gran, and it's a story for another day, I didn't go straight to seminary from matric. Um, I went and did my national service and worked for a bit. And finally, in... Uh, uh, in fact, did my national service here in Pretoria, uh, 28 Squadron of Vardaclua. And, and still, even though there are only three serviceable C-130s at the moment, when one of them flies over, that sound of a flossy, just never forget it. And so in January of 1986, just 16 months after my incredible wife Jean and I were married, uh, we moved to Primrose, where I was to start working as an assistant minister with a senior guy by the name of Stan Grasso. After five years of working there and uh, incredible kind of ministry happening, learning a lot, um, God using me, um, I just kind of finished exams for the year and uh, the family had, and I had gone on holiday. And because being a minister, not much cash, the only place we could really afford to go to on holiday was to stay in an uncle and aunt's place down in Nature's Valley. Beautiful little little place. Um, and so one afternoon, uh, as we, one evening, um, you never know what time it is in December down at the coast because the children start getting grumpy and you wonder, why are you so angry? And then you realize it's like eight o'clock, they're hungry. You never know what time it is. But anyway, we're walking off the beach. And as we walk up to the house, there's a police bucket standing outside of the house. And I think, oh, man, they've broken into my house back in Pretoria. That happened earlier that year. And so we kind of surmised that and walked up to the bucky and the, kind of knocked on the window. And the policeman jumped out and, and kind of said, what's that? He said, yeah, you need to phone your boss. And I think, ooh, yeah, no, something's gone badly wrong. Now, now, let me just put that into context. 1979, there were no cell phones. The only way to communicate over long distances was by telegram. Some of you are like, what? You go to the post office, you write out some words, you pay some many cents per, per letter, they send it down to the nearest post office, then somebody... Uh, prints that out and then you get them somebody comes to the house or they put in your post box and they give you the little one sentence because it's expensive so either telegram um, or um, the other way uh, that people used to communicate was by written letter using the post office 
It doesn't exist anymore, but that's what they did. Uh, the other way was, of course, um, by telephone, and and there were only landlines, and and the, and the, way, the it was a fixed kind of wired telephone in your house, normally in the lounge, so everybody in the house heard your whole conversation. Imagine that. Imagine your family knowing exactly what was going on in your life. Weird thing. Or uh, the other way was, was uh, if you weren't at home, there would be a, a public call box uh, scattered around the place in public. And you put money in and then you dialed the number and then you could speak and then it would stop because, or it would start beeping because the money was running out. Anyway, so the only way that I could phone my boss, um, and he gave me a piece of paper and it wasn't my boss's phone number. It wasn't Stan Grosso's phone number. It was... Reverend Bill Meeker, who at that point was Gene Getson's minister at Northfield, but is also the vice chairman of the district. And that threw me a bit. So, so I get to the, the little ticky box. We have to drive down to the little shop at the end of the village. And I've got a handful of coins and I put the coins in and dial the number. And, and Bill says to me, look, we're, we're, we're needing to move you. And uh, you need to start in January in Standerton. And I said, Bill, I'd, I'd been to Standerton earlier in the year because the minister at Stanerton was the man who led me to Christ, Sandy Dickey, and he kind of wanted to see if maybe there was a call for me to go there, or I sensed the call there, and we'd gone to visit, and there certainly wasn't. And I said to Bill, we'd been there. That's, that's not going to be kind of the place that I think God wants me. And Bill said, well, the problem is that there are a number of, minister, number of ministers moving, and there aren't replacements for them, and because you're near the end of your training, we're going to have to move you. Hello. Anyway, so um, he says, when can I phone you again? I said, well, we, we'll be in Cape Town the day after tomorrow, staying with my uncle in Cape Town. You can call us there. And so I kind of go back to the house and I say to Gene, it looks like we're going to move. And, and we were in the middle of house renovations, a whole lot of stuff going on. But a couple of days later, we we're um, just finished supper and my uncle's phone rings and he goes and answers and he calls me. He says, there's a call for you. And it's our bishop. Um, Bishop Siwa, and he uh, he says to me, "Look, Jim, we're moving you to Palaborwa. Um and and the you know they, they kind of no debate. You have to go to Palaborwa, and your your new bishop will phone you in a couple of minutes to make arrangements for you. Um, goodbye. That was the end of the conversation. And as I as I walk away from the telephone, I walk down the stairs into the kind of lounge. the The TV's on, and it's news time. It was twenty past eight that evening because the weather was up and as I looked at the screen right on the top top right hand corner of the map of South Africa there was big number 38 and next to it Palaborwa well at least I knew where Palaborwa was and so um, we get back from leave um pay the contractor, pack boxes, and on the 16th, a couple of days after my birthday, we kind of load the family into the two cars, the dogs, the children, the, everything, and we head for Palaboa. That Sunday is, um, it's the first Sunday on there, it's the 20th of, of January, and it's the, the same lecture reading as we're going to read today. You see, the, the church's preaching calendar, or the, the set readings for the day, are, are set out 
uh, in a three-year cycle, and so every three years you pick up the same reading. And the reason for that is that over a three-year period, you cover most of the biblical themes and major biblical passages in Scripture, so that the church kind of looks at all of Scripture on a Sunday, not just the minister's favorites. And so the, the reading that Sunday is the same reading as today. It's the story of Jonah and the whale. And uh, let's turn to Jonah. Jonah chapter 3 um, from verse 1. A message from the Lord came to Jonah a second time. The Lord said, go to the great city of Nineveh, announce to its people the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the Lord. He went to Nineveh. It was a very large city. In fact, it took about three days to go through it. Jonah began by going one whole day into the city. As he went, he announced in 40 days, Nineveh will be destroyed. The people of Nineveh believed God's warning, so they decided not to eat any food for a while. Um, all of them put on the rough clothing people wear when they're sad. And that's what everyone did, from the least of important to the most important. God saw what they did. He saw that they'd stopped doing what was evil, so he took pity in them. He didn't destroy them as he said he would. So my, my first sermon in Balaboa was on that passage, and I begin the sermon by saying this. Look, I'm here by, so I'm just as surprised that I'm here as you are. Um, this wasn't my plan, but, but I'm going to try and be faithful, um, and I'm going to preach God, the God's word, but, but understand that by the end of the year, I'm probably not going to be here anymore. You see, I was the ninth minister in 13 years, so they were not surprised that ministers come and go because I wasn't happy being in Balabora. but as we look at the Bible passage we need to recognize that that this is the second time the message has come to Jonah the first uh, the first time Jonah chapter well it says for Jonah 3 1 a message from the Lord came to Jonah a second time, go to the great city of Nineveh. You see, it was very similar to the first message he'd received. If you go to Jonah chapter 1, Jonah chapter 1 verse 1, a message from the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. The Lord said, go to the great city of Nineveh, preach against it, for the sins of its people have come to me at my attention. The next sentence goes like this. But Jonah ran away from the Lord. Anywhere but Nineveh, Lord. Anywhere, anywhere, anywhere but Nineveh. They were an evil bunch. I'm not going to waste my time because they will never turn to you. Anywhere. I will go anywhere but Nineveh. Anywhere but there, Lord. Anywhere but Standerton, Lord. Anywhere. Anywhere but Standerton. Okay, I won't send you to Standerton. I'll send you to Balaboa. Anywhere. So what does Jonah do when he receives the message the first time, the backstory? Jonah decides there's no way he's going to go to where God wants him. So he kind of jumps on a ship and he heads um, for a place. Um, let me just find the right thing. It's a place called Tarsis, which is what we would now call uh, or, or Spain. So he heads for Spain, up the Mediterranean. Let me, let me kind of describe for you in terms of direction. Uh, Nineveh is this way. It's where modern-day Mosul in, in Iraq is. So Nineveh is this way. 
And Jonah goes that way. He's on a ship to head 3,000 kilometers or 6,000 kilometers that way away from Nineveh. But God has a plan. And so uh, while he's on the ship, there's this massive storm and the sailors are trying everything they can do not to, not to kind of let the ship sink and they drown. But eventually Jonah fesses up and he says, look, the reason for the storm is that I'm being disobedient to God and I'm running away from God. You better throw me overboard. It's a bit drastic, eh? You better throw me overboard uh, and, and then you'll be spared. So the ship captain is saying, we're okay with that. <laughs> so they toss him overboard and the storm stops. But Jonah's trouble doesn't end there. He, um, he's in the water, treading water, when this fish, some people suggest maybe a whale, when this fish comes and swallows him whole and begins to swim, guess which direction? Nineveh. Nineveh is about a thousand kilometers from the coast of modern-day Jordan. So he gets spat out on the beach, and when he spat out on the beach, the word of God comes to him the second time, which is exactly the same as the first time. You need to go to Nineveh. So you can imagine smelly oak, being in the fish, a whale for three days, three nights, kind of walking. Eventually, after many days, he gets to Nineveh. And it's a big place. It takes three days to kind of get through the whole city. And he's into the city. He's kind of spent a whole day kind of wandering around the city when he begins to proclaim God's message, finally. And he keeps going. You see, the message is in 40 days, God's going to wipe you out. You, you know, turn or burn. If you don't turn to God, he's going to wipe you out. 40 days, 39 days, 38 days. He keeps walking through the city, speaking this message. Day 41, he's up on the hill overlooking the city because they're not going to turn to God, waiting for the fire to come down from heaven. And guess what? No fire. And then there's a whole kind of interaction. Go and read it, Jonah chapter 3, the last part, and, from, and on from there. whole interaction about what God happens. But what Jonah discovers, this whole story, Jonah discovers that, that you can run from God, but you can't hide. You can run from God, but you can't hide. Eventually, God will catch up to you and bring you back to where you need to be. Now we go to our And so we begin at verse 14. Now, after John was arrested, that's John the baptizer, Jesus' cousin, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe the gospel. Sounds familiar, eh? <laughs> Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going a little further, he saw James, the son of Diabetes, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. Two calls. 
but they work out very differently. One to Jonah. I'm calling you, Jonah, to proclaim my message to a disobedient people. And Jonah turns and runs the opposite direction. And God has to intervene, kind of do something really miraculous to bring Jonah back to where God wants him and needs him to proclaim the message. The other is to, to some fishermen. And, and if you were with us towards the end of last year, we spoke a little bit about the fact that when we look at God's call on people's lives, Jesus had probably spent a bit of time with these fishermen along the Sea of Galilee as he kind of traveled from where he was living um, in Nazareth down uh, to the coast and then um, to go and, and uh, live in Capernaum where he, where he later moved to. And he probably spent some time with these guys talking to them as they were kind of mending nets and fishing. And Jesus says to them, come and follow me. And, and the result is very different. The scripture says immediately... When Jesus calls them, they follow. Immediately they leave their dad, the family business, and they follow Jesus. They become the followers of Jesus. Later on, they become the leaders of the early church, the followers of Jesus. Over 40 years that I've been in ministry, I've, I've seen God call many different people in many different ways. God has called some people, in fact many, to serve him in the local church, to do stuff where they're worshipping, to serve, to help, to make a difference. There are some that God has, has called to do something very specific or maybe kind of seemingly a little more kind of big. And, and there have been some whom God has called out of the local church into full-time ministry. I saw, I've seen over the last 40 years, many people say yes to Jesus. Many teens, some of them my school friends uh, and youth friends, say yes to Jesus. And having heard Jesus call in their lives, lives get busy, varsity relationships, friendships work, and, and they begin to kind of forget about the call of God on their lives. They begin to drift away from God. Um, and some of them even run, have run and hide and hid. Gone and studied amazing stuff like, like architecture and medicine and law, accounting. But they, they got busy, and in their busyness, kind of run away from the call of God on their lives. And I've watched some of them, their lives get messier and messier and more complicated and more difficult. But, you know, over the years, there have been people that, that we kind of see in the news, celebrities that have started off knowing God, growing up in the church, and have drifted away from their faith. People like Katy Perry, Julia Roberts, George Clooney, Orlando Bloom, Anne Hathaway, all kind of grew up in their local churches, in their youth, and drifted away from God. It's been incredible watching some of these celebrities in their older lives kind of call, get called back to God and making a difference now. There, there was a painter once by the name of Vincent van Gogh, you you may know the name. You may even know some of his paintings, Starry Night and many others. An amazing painter. As a young person, he was called to ministry. In fact, considered becoming a pastor, a minister, and eventually kind of ran away from his faith and, and ended his life literally. Um, struggling um, mentally, emotionally. 
But I've also, over the last 40 years, been so blessed by watching young people and adults kind of discover God's call in their lives and say yes. People like Robert and Michelle Aitchison, Chris Leonard, Rob Smith. Last year, I, I was at Willow's Methodist Church's 100th year celebration. They started off in Hatfield in 1923 and, and relocated. And it was incredible sitting, listening to, as, as we kind of chatted around the table, some of the people that I'd ministered to um, as young people now serving God, um, people like Lyle Jacobs and Michelle van Rensburg and others now serving God in the most incredible ways. Some people took a while to respond. There was a, a guy in, in one of our, the churches that I served, a guy by the name of Alex. Um, he'd come to know Christ just before he'd gone to varsity here at UP. And, and while he was at varsity, he started attending the church and getting involved in youth. And it was, wasn't long, kind of, my colleague and I discovered, sensed that God had a call on his life. And we kept saying to Alex, God is calling you, brother. And he said, yeah, but not now. Um, started work, um, started local preaching. And, and the first time he preached, we kind of both said to him separately without knowing what the other said. God's got a call on your life, Alex. And Alex says, no, but not now. I, I know God's calling me, but not now. And it was incredible that 18 months ago, Alex finally said yes. And now he's here. There are those whom God, who struggle with that call, who don't just say yes and go, who struggle with the call, but eventually... Say yes. Let me finish my little story about Kalabur. We were there for eight years. Incredible ministry. God did amazing stuff. We, we built the hall that they'd been dreaming of building for 16 years. Started Alpha. Lots of cool stuff happened. The church grew. It was really lacquer. And, and when I left um, at my farewell... The, the, the local preacher, any local preacher I had in the congregation at the farewell said, uh, Reverend Ramage, I want to remind you about your first sermon. Jonah. And I was reminded that if, if we're willing to go where God sends us, if we're willing to be obedient in doing what he calls us to, where he calls us for as long as he calls us, amazing things will happen. You see, if Jesus is who he claims to be, if God is God, the one who, who, who creates everything, who sustains your life and mine, if he is who he is, then we can trust him when he calls us. And we don't need to run away from the call like Jonah, go in the opposite direction. We can actually go to where God wants us to be. We can be like Andrew and Simon and James and John, We, we, we last year in October prayed for a group of matrics who were about to write their exams, that God would bless them and help them, and, and he has. Um, and today we say thank you. But I want to say to the to, to if, you, if you're a kind of matric or you're kind of starting out in your career, maybe you're still at varsity, just remember that, that, that reading we read right at the beginning from Psalms. Um, remember to do things God's way to go where God calls you, to become the person that God's created you to be, to fulfill the call of God on your life, to do what God wants with your life, not what you want.
You see, God calls people to follow him and, and uses them in their, in their occupations. He does. I have an incredible dentist. Um, she witnesses often, but it's a bit of a captive audience because you can't talk back. But she talks about Jesus as she's kind of doing stuff and what God is doing in her life. But, um, so God can use us where we are, but sometimes God calls us to do something special and significant for him. And if God is calling you, and you may know that God called you when you were a young person. God is calling you. Listen. This morning, Peña and Valencia, Joseph spoke a little bit about call. To get involved, to serve, to become part of something bigger than yourself. If God is calling you, don't say no. Don't run in the opposite direction. Go to where God wants you. Because when you do, amazing things happen. You may, you may be retired and older. And I can point to some of you because that's what you are. You have the responsibility of mentoring young people. And of enabling young people to live their lives in a way that honors God. Do that. One of the reasons why Joseph speaks about life groups, because that's a place where we can sit with people who are younger than ourselves and we can encourage them and pray for them and share our stories with them of our struggles and God's faithfulness in our struggles. Let God use you. It doesn't matter if you're 19 or, what, 99? No, no, not quite 99. Sorry, it doesn't matter whether, whether you're young or old. Let God use you. You see, we're in this season where we're thinking about who Jesus is. And if Jesus is who he is, then we have to respond in some way. This epiphany sets a kind of season. Aha, that's who Jesus is. I better follow him. I better do what he wants. I better respond to him. So I want to leave a question with you. And, and I've said this before at different times here. I hope this is a question that keeps you awake at night. And if it does, please don't phone me at three tomorrow morning. And phone me at nine and we'll, we'll phone Bronwyn and I will set up an appointment to have coffee. But, but I really hope this is a question that will keep you awake at night. When you hear God call you, will you follow him? When you hear Jesus say to you, come and follow me, will you follow him? And I guess attached to that is a second question. Will you do what he's asking and calling you to do for him? Jonah, other way. Run and hide. Andrew, Peter, James, John, other disciples follow Jesus. And they make a difference in their world. My prayer for you and for all of us, that we will make a difference where we are and wherever God calls us to. Let's pray.
when you hear God calling you, will you follow him? When you hear God calling you to do something for him, will you do it? Lord, as we gather, as we've learned, listened, worshipped together, open our hearts that we may hear your call, not just as something in our ears or in our brains, but deep within us. And then help us to respond. Help us to respond as we offer our lives to you, not just as a New Year's resolution, something we do in January of each year, but something we do every day because of who you are. We offer our lives to you. In Jesus' name, amen.